I will find a way to escape! Hear me! I am not a number! I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially It's a degree absolute. Glenn. Chris. Do you remember what you said to me last time I had you come over to listen to some records? And I said, Glenn, do you want to listen to A Tribe Called Quests? We Got It From Here. Or Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Please note for the listener that I am holding up these records. I'm not just pulling it's titles. True, he is. Yes. Uh, Public He's enemies. creating an elaborate fiction of an encounter we did not have, but he is holding Fear up Fear of a Black Planet. Records. Do you remember yeah. what you said when I offered you your choice among these? I really don't. I'm going to need you to refresh your memory on this complete bullshit you're selling our listeners. I believe you, uh, you looked at me and you said, do you have anything that's not a rap? <laughs> Good God. I should have expected it, but somehow I didn't. I somehow I didn't. Yeah, wraps, I guess, are the, uh, the food of the future. They're like the dipping dots of this prisoner's world. In the village, in the, uh, the desert-bound, uh, arid version of, of the village, no, mm-hmm. no pleasant seaside resort for us. No, no. Although if on the map of the village there is a big blue, you know, just kind of vast expanse on the border, and then so you, you, there, there is an ocean on the map of the mm-hmm. village and yet everybody is pretending like there isn't an ocean and they've never heard of an ocean and yeah uh, it is only one of several internal inconsistencies we will deal with tonight yeah so we both look you you and i we watched this together when it was new when it was released in november 2009 and we wrote a joint piece in- about it that has been Lost to history, seemingly. Yeah, three installments. It was it, it was two episodes a night on AMC, and uh, boy, oof. and we did uh, blogs. Remember blogs, kids? We did a blog yeah. post for the Washington City Paper where we went back and forth on, in discussing it, and um, the first of those blog posts has been eaten by the internet langoliers, uh, forever lost, and the others uh, are still there, so it, it's kind of tough to kind of go back. Oh, and... the others are there. Okay. Well, you, the you others had are there. more success um, than I did. But I didn't go back to read them because they're, they're spoilers, and we are yeah. only going to be talking about the first three episodes today. Right. Um, so this is uh, this is something we should explain clearly. Yeah. I mean, we are breaking with our, our prior precedent of, let's just say, we, we know what a momentous thing it is when you break with precedent. Mm-hmm. We don't do it lightly. Uh, <laughs> decisis, yes. It's, it's, it's important in podcasting and in jurisprudence. Right. So we, you know, always devoted a full episode to eat, or a full episode of our show to each episode of, of The Prisoner before. But nobody wants that here. No, nobody we are agreed to it. We, we thought six was too many to, to give to the 2009 AMC Prisoner. 
the subject of our, our investigation tonight. And I, I suggested perhaps three. We could double up, mm-hmm. and and uh, Glenn made a, an even more um, penny pinching counteroffer of just two episodes. So we are going to be talking about the first three episodes of this series. It does get better in the second half, but we're going to be talking. Oh, okay, so you've half. got so I've I've only I've only revisited one through three. Yeah, me too. Here. But uh, I just remember the buzz was that it did get better, and particularly in the final episode, huh. and we'll talk about that. Yeah, but we won't talk about that tonight. I guess not. So what little I remembered, little I mean, I remembered that it was Jim Caviezel, mm. Jesus H. Christ himself, mm-hmm. and uh, Ian McKellen, Yep. Eric Lencher, Gandalf the White himself. Sure. I did not remember that Haley Atwell was in this. Peggy yes. Carter, two years before she joins the MCU, Glenn. Uh, yep. And, um, She's got a certain something. In this, she does, Glenn, and you know maybe this will get me in trouble. Maybe, maybe it won't. Maybe people will will love me. But I'm just gonna say, before she went to Hollywood and no doubt had some agent or casting director or someone tell her lose twenty pounds, Mm. she looked even more radiant as she she does here. What a beautiful woman! Yeah, yeah, and uh, Caviezel, beautiful looking man. um, Sure, absolutely. He he sucks. (laughs) He is. Really stiff, really wooden. We will get into more detail. Right, but he he does, uh, I I mean, so much of this version, or at least the first half of this, hangs on him being able to flirt passively, something you can never imagine McGowan doing for a second. And he's okay, right? He's not bad in those scenes. You actually believe that he might persuade a lady to, okay, yeah, sure, I'll... I'll, uh, I'll, Based on cheekbones alone, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll spend a little more time talking to this guy, see where this goes. Mm Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have uh, any kind of internal through line, so we don't know how he's going to be acting from scene to scene. And some of that is that he's disoriented, but some of that is that he just doesn't have a grip on who this person is, this character is at all. Um, This is a slog. I think what's missing from at least these first episodes is any kind of sensibility or point of view or organizing principle. It's got an aesthetic, and it's a very strong one, but it doesn't have something keeping it together. It doesn't have a central allegory like the original series did. Um, It will ultimately have something to say about surveillance, the surveillance state, and it will ultimately veer off into deeply speculative science fiction, much harder science fiction than the original series ever did, even though it was weird. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, we're going to be talking about some pretty frustrating episodes, people, but uh, we should welcome the listeners in. Okay, if you say so. I need you to ask me, give me a rhetorical question. Um, or I need to give you, Glenn. Okay, I, well, Glenn. Yeah, well, why? Why are you so fixated? Why are you talking about Haley Atwell's entirely unnecessary weight loss? Um, well, uh, the, the pot calling the kettle um, <laughs> horny. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 because uh, she figures largely in this. Uh, you're, you're right. It is because in 1966, Patrick McGoohan starred in the long-running TV spy series. Danger Man resigned at the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each resident, well, many residents are referred to only by their numbers. Silly, silly, silly. Surreal and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time and innately and unambiguously and lava lampedly of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. Yeah, it was. Well, it seems so, it seems so nice compared to this. In 2009... Yeah. Original producing entity ITV mm-hmm. and director Nick Huron. 
Did you did you clock the writer name? Okay. Nope. Nick Hearn, a guy who's who's directed a couple Sherlock's after this, who who's worked mostly in TV, and you know, I guess he's true to the original the pedigree of uh, the the original directors who who McGowan picked, uh, apparently because they were controllable journeymen uh, for sure. the most part. And Nick Curran, they, they gave us the six episode aired in, you said it was in three nights, right? Mm-hmm. So so six double episodes, a reboot. Adaptation more than anything else. Adaptation, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it, uh, what can you say? Like this was something that I think had been been discussed for a long time, there, there was all this, this talk of a, of a feature version that Christopher Nolan was uh, supposedly attached to briefly at one point. There was all that those comments from McGowan about how um, he'd, he'd like to see Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really, he got the next best thing in, in Jim Caviezel. They did another prisoner. It, uh, it disappeared immediately. It was... Um, Anyway, they did it, and uh, so we we feel compelled to talk about it. We are completists, so we want you to feel comfortable here. So welcome to the private, personal, by hand, tangent, tolerant, but properly punctuated punch card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series and its idiot offspring, Uh The Prisoner, and we... I'm, I'm going to say, Glenn, I'm I, uh, going to rerun it on fumes by, uh, okay, by the time no we get to it. it. Yeah, it. okay. It. I've All been right. there. All right, All right. I know these fumes. We push it like number six, telling the absolutely radiant pre-Peggy Carter MCU Haley Atwell that he'd like to get to know her better. Nothing wrong with that, but that he'd like to get to know her better tonight. Yeah, that's pushing it. Um, But, um, you know, I think uh, permissible. I'd give that a five out of six. Haley Atwell, who will be joining her Agent Carter co-star Shea Wiggum in next summer's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, a movie that's already been shooting for like four years. Uh We file it. Like one of number six's vague reports about CCTV footage he reviews in his job as an employee of Simcor? Uh, Summercore. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, something vague in this series? How dare you? Um, five out of six. Let's see, okay. We stamp it like the time stamp at uh, the bottom of the various surveillance cam footage that's just sort of cut into, um, Scenes of number six waking up here at Duran. It just seems like they're trying to pad out the the forty four minutes. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any governing aesthetic to when they put that time stamp it like like that surveillance footage with the little. Numbers. Yeah, so, indeed, it yeah. is kind of haphazard. But uh, your citation of it, you're reaching for it, but you have to reach for it, and you kept it. You kept it relatively pithy. Five out of six. Mm. I don't trust this, Glenn. You're you're being mm-hmm. awfully nice here. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, we've been through a lot. We index it like... I think I'm seeing real-time wheel. <laughs> this is interesting. Usually yeah. we pretend like we actually thought about it a little bit, but oh, this is good. This we index it like me going to... Hmm. Like me going to Kyle Buchanan's Blood and Chrome... The Incredible True that? Story of Mad Max Fury Road, which I his, his great oral history of that book that I, I reviewed for the Washington Post a couple months ago, to look up and confirm that it was indeed the same coastal town of Swak, Swakop, Swakopmund, Namibia, 
where both the prisoner 09 was largely shot, except for the parts that were shot in Cape Town, South Africa, apparently, and where the Mad Max Fury Road crew was housed during their hellish summer 2012 shoot some years later. We index it like me going to Kyle Buchanan's fine book to uh, verify that fact. It was a long trip through the desert, but you brought it back at the end, four out of six. Thank you. We brief it. Like a 2018 meeting between Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and a deeply concerned Maine Senator Susan Collins, wherein he assures her that he has great respect for president and uh, Roe v. Wade is uh, settled law. Yeah, um, I, I agree with the sentiment. I question the uh, aptness, Counselor, uh, three out of six. We debrief it like a 2017 meeting between Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch and okay. deeply concerned Maine Senator six. Susan Collins, three out of six. wherein he assures her that three. he wrote a whole book about the importance of precedent and that Roe six. v. Wade is settled law. Three out of six. Okay. Number it. <laughs> uh-huh. This is a gimme. Come on. This is a layup. I'm going to say, yeah, we, we number it like the residents of the village in this one because give Prisoner 09 this much. They have more than a total of like 15 different numbers. They actually go to three digits. Uh, we don't we don't have some cases. Yeah, we, we don't have multiple iterations of, of the same number, which I, I understand there was some some intentionality there, like certain people are disappeared and, and they're replaced and yada, yada, yada. But we number it like um, five, five, four, the waitress at the diner who has vague memories of uh, another life that she sometimes sketches on napkins or like uh, eleven, twelve, the weird maybe clone or something son of Ian McKellen's number two, who I guess Ian McKellen sired when he was only 70 or, or something. Number it like, a <laughs> lot of numbers there, Glenn. Pick the pick the one you want to use. A lot of numbers there, five out of six. Uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't do a deep dive to determine if any of the numbers we see in this show are mentioned in the original series, because that would be... Uh, too much, and also I don't believe we're seeing lots of three-digit and four-digit numbers yeah. here. So yeah. um, the the village has greatly mm-hmm. expanded in, in yeah. intervening years. Uh, so anyway, we're we're going to talk McGoons, we're going to talk McGuffins, we're even going to talk McKellens. We're going to mm-hmm. talk Wilsons, and oh, are we going to talk Atwells? We're going to talk Caviezels, and we're going to mm-hmm. talk Weasels. Our inquiry into this televisionary landmark and its idiot offspring—I said that already, but I but I really yeah. need to reiterate—is not of a degree mendacious. Nope, it's not of a degree temperamental. No, it is not of a degree. I'm going to say labile. That's L-A-B-I-L-E. I think you're supposed to pronounce it like label, but I want to make sure mm. that I'm not uh, using label in the sense of label maker. Nope. No, I get I get what you're saying. Yep. yep, yep. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but I think it's a it means like the chemical properties of uh, I think it's the the uh, antonym to stable. Okay. Like like, like uh, a chemically stable versus chemically volatile. I think label is a Maybe a chemistry word that means it's unstable chemically. Okay, good. I'll take it. Uh-huh. It is of a degree absolute, Chris. Correct. Glenn, right, this is so. a this this is this is kind of nice. I mean, this is really the origin of this project for us, right? It was when this this thing was announced in '09, and you and I had only known each other for a few months at this point, and and mm-hmm. I don't know if we prior to that news if we had already discussed our shared affection for the prisoner, but. Um, no, this is this is returning. I mean, I'm sure some listeners are, are grateful that we're actually getting back to um, 
the ostensible subject, even though the actual subject of this uh, podcast is Patrick McGowan in, in all his glory. Um, and that's really what's missing here, both in terms of performance and in terms of, you know, just uh, driving force. Um, but it is nice to see echoes, callbacks, um, but it does feel like, uh, you know, the, the Golden Throats album where <laughs> classic uh, something classic from the 60s is uh, redone by your William Shatner's, your mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy's. Yeah. Shatner's uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Latner, Shatner's Mr. Tambourine Man. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. So you, you really do uh, conflate the uh, the Shatner singing career with the Nimoy singing career. Um, one, one is tempted to, yeah. But you're here now, we're so near now, and I'd love making love to you. It's not unfair. It's not unfair. There's also a very uh, unforgettable version of Mae West singing Twist and Shout, which you don't, uh-huh. that stays with you. But, yeah. um, so I think what's happening here, Chris, and, and this is my theory, and you you check me on it, that the organizing principles of these theories, the structure of these two series were, were flipped. So in the original series, the purpose of the village was clear and unambiguous from the jump. We were told several times they want information, information, information. 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 Who is leading the village? Which side specifically? That is not. That's the mm-hmm. thing that we wanted to get the answer to at the end. Right. We were very rarely lost in terms of what's happening on a given episode because it had such as Richard, this rigid TV structure. Every episode, they want something from him. Every episode, he's going to try to keep them from getting it. It assured us that there was a concrete answer to who runs the village coming. Which is why people went batshit crazy when the actual answer we arrived at at the end was, you know, as ambiguous right. and as symbolic as and frustratingly yeah. unclear and indistinct as it was. Bad enough that this is going to be a show where our hero fails at the end of each episode, right? Because mm-hmm. he can't, he at least has to fail 17 times to escape before yep. he can maybe succeed in the finale. But um, yeah, for then there to be no solution to the riddle, just right. doubly discouraging. But it was a remarkably episodic uh, structure. So any given episode was complete. Here, everything is exactly flipped. The leadership of the village is clear from the very beginning. It's two. Two is the guy. Two runs the village. There is no number one. That gets dealt with relatively soon. But the purpose, why anybody is here, is not. We don't know why Anything is fucking happening from moment to moment. There is no through line. There is no spine here. The flashbacks, I think, were meant to be the spine. The flashbacks would be the thing that you thread everything along. But there's not nearly enough or or it's not good enough to center us. And Caviezel just doesn't have the chops. Again and again, he just sounds like he's reading a script that he that we're, we're looking at the first take of any, any given scene. It's It's in the writing which can be very kind of stiff and overdetermined, but it's also in the performance. We don't know why he feels the way he does in any given scene. And then what happens at the end, and we'll, we'll get to this next, next time, but there is a concrete answer to what the village is about. And there is a secret that gets revealed in the final episode. We weren't set up for that, you know, because we don't necessarily think that there is a concrete answer because we don't know why anything is happening. So we are not being led because there's no tonal consistency in this thing. So we're not being led to expect a concrete answer. So when it comes, we kind of go, oh, and we have to kind of think back on everything 
that we saw before. It's it's the showrunner deciding that the meat of this series is the reveal, whereas P- McGowan said the meat of the series is this tone, is yeah. this mystery, well, not even a mystery, is this um, is the allegory, is right, is, is and there's it, it doesn't doesn't have that. It does. There's lots of stuff about surveillance. There's lots of stuff about CCTV. But yeah, yeah. Well, who is the who is the auteur? Of this, I mean, clearly in the original, it's it's McGowan. He fights with Markstein. He and Markstein break up. You know, Markstein is is the only creative voice who's strong enough for McGowan not to just steamroller over him all the time. That's why McGowan hires a bunch of pushover directors. Mostly, these six episodes are credited to writer Bill Gallagher, director Nick Hearn. Yeah, the creator, the showrunner, is Bill Gallagher. I'm okay. not familiar with his other work. Yes, there isn't any identifying stamp. On this or, or anything, yeah. this this really does kind of feel like like cosplay prisoner, and and I, I mean, in some ways, I I did um, I sort of started to enjoy this this more particularly in the first episode when it diverged a little more from from what yeah. we knew already. Um, this this first episode ends with a, an explosion at this diner where Six has been talking to this this waitress who um, it's clear. Well, I don't know. We, maybe we should go through your synopsis here, and this this will make more sense. But there's there's the suggestion that there is a rebellious faction in the village, mm-hmm. and that is interesting. I mean that that is something that that comes into the original eventually, at least here and there. I mean, I, I they seem to deal with it sometimes in you know certain episodes, uh, like uh, I think checkmate maybe and um mm-hmm. the general like there was a like a clearly yep. organized resistance movement and then other times it, it either it doesn't exist at all or number six has never encountered them yeah i mean there this was sort of enough for me to think i i'm open to a perhaps more open to a an update of this material than i i thought i would be but this is also just executed horribly <laughs> yeah i mean i was mm-hmm. so much more enamored of the uh graphic novel that kind of continued yeah. the story even though it was kind of hued shattered I mean, visage probably, shattered I, I, that probably hewed a little too closely this and it's not about how close this is and it's not about setting up expectations and how i want to see those uh stripy blazers in the, and the, and the yeah number the, 93 the old man at the beginning he's wearing the stripy blazer yeah. right yeah and, yeah it's not about that i, I don't need to see the Italian at Village again. I just need to know that there is some affinity. I just need to know why anything's happening, or, or at least be be assured that I'm going to know why anything's happening. And in the run up to the ending of this, in these first three episodes specifically, we don't get anything that you can really grab onto because I, I think I think the weakness is Kibizel, but you know he's not being helped. So he wakes up alone in an arid, rocky desert, wondering where he is. It's clear that he doesn't remember his name or who he is or how he got there. He sees another um, rather portly man, elderly man, in a familiar uh, fit, mm-hmm. as the kids mm-hmm. say. Yes. Uh, getting uh, his, f- and we get our first callback in from that fit. He's being chased by dogs and guards, um, and the execution of this scene where Kibizel has to run over to the old man, despite the fact that there are dogs and guards chasing him and they somehow are on on the high ground they have the high ground chris and they do not see him <sighs> and they're they're like, shooting at him right and they're shooting at which him which is not something just... that the the minders of the village in the old days ever did right because these yeah. were people who they their knowledge their their secrets needed to be extracted but you couldn't do that if you killed them yes so, yeah, my confidence kind of got undermined there. He drags uh, the old man into a very convenient cave. Um, <laughs> was, yeah, that was a Star Trek uh, original series cave. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so the older man is in the familiar village resort where he says, uh, tell them I got out and to find uh, 355. Uh, then he proceeds to die. Um, his n- number we will later learn is 93. Theoretically, there was talk. I don't know how seriously to take this talk that Magoon was offered this part. Uh, in which case, would he be 93? Maybe he'd be the four number six. But if you know, if you yeah. subtract three from nine, what do you get, Chris? I'll tell you what you get. You get six. Wow. Is what you get. Numerology. I concur. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been great to see him. I wouldn't have taken the part if I was Patrick McGowan, because we've seen Patrick McGowan in some tiny, tiny parts that, <laughs> that mean nothing. And that means even less. So, yeah. Also, this, this, is, this was the uh, year that he died. I mean, this was, I, I know that this was shot yep. uh, late 08. I think McGowan dies like spring yeah. 09. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. McKellen uh, said in one interview that I read that, uh, you know, McGowan was going to do it, but he wanted to play number two, and he wouldn't do it if he didn't play number two. And I just think that's McKellen being, you know, um, <laughs> McKellen trying to be off. Well, how would you feel about that? I think it'd be great, personally, because yeah, he'd get some some lines to chew on. Um, he might be able to kind of give us all all McKellen is giving here, uh, at least in these early episodes, is just evil. Make me a cake, yeah, and I will eat it. And like he's uh, no, and I mean, default McKellen is great, you know. But yeah. um, we were not starving, we were not wanting for McKellen in the early early aughts. You know, he's in Lord of the Rings, he's in X Men, he's he's kind yeah. of everywhere. We are already sated for McKellen, and he is. He's not as not as weird as Patty McGee. Yeah. And, you know, there is a certain facial resemblance between the guy playing 93 and uh, McGowan, although you'd have to think if, if the series intends for this to be the original six, which I don't think it does, but, I mean, this guy would have had to, had to have uh, stopped the kosho and the forest boxing and, the, and gotten more <laughs> units of sweets and, uh, yeah. and gin, whiskey, vodka looks the same, tastes the same. But uh, I, don't, I don't think... Is it real booze in the village now? Oh yes, there definitely is because people are uh, people are dancing really goofily in that disco in Club More. Yeah, but I mean that could have been that could have been looks the same, tastes the same. Yeah. No, you think it's the real shit? Huh? Okay. He uh, stumbles across, uh, and again, he could have gone in any direction, but he just manages to walk directly into the <laughs> village. Uh, a series of identical A-frames that are right on top of each other. They are not the only kind of accommodation in this particular village. We do will later see a very high-placed security official. Who lives in a trailer? <laughs> this yeah. is a village with uh, with a bad side of the tracks. Um, I do love the designs of these A-frames. I mean, I live in an A-frame. Uh, sure, cabin is uh-huh. an A-frame. I I love that mm-hmm. aesthetic, and uh, I kind of dig this arid, kind of washed out, you know, Tatooine but make it fashion kind of uh, aesthetic <laughs> here. But um, with a so glimmery sort of twin towers on the horizon. Definitely meant to evoke the twin towers. No other interpretation yeah, exists. And I have don't no remember having that thought in 2009, which, mm. how could you not? I mean, it is even weirder to me that I don't remember that than it is that I don't remember Haley Atwell. Yes, I understand that. So he sees a passing taxi. He hops in it, but it's only a local. That's our second callback yes. so far, if you're count- counting at home. Uh, he jumps out of the taxi, comes across a bar that has a checkered board floor. Third callback. Uh-huh. Um, this is Club Moore. He strikes up a conversation with a very attractive woman, uh, played by... Ruth Wilson. Ruth Wilson. Not the one who's married to Tom Hanks. No. Also very fetching, also very much my, my type. It's an embarrassment of riches for me here, Glenn. Yeah, I first saw her in a television production of Jane Eyre back in the aughts or if not before, and most recently, uh, listeners might know her as playing Mrs. Coulter from the 
his Dark Materials adaptation uh-huh. on HBO. She's playing a creature of pure okay. evil there, and she plays it very well. She's having a lot of fun on that. Having a little less fun out here. The thing from a few years ago that I think I am the only person who liked, I, I may have actually reviewed this for you, I can't remember, but there was a film adaptation of a Neil Gaiman short story called How to Talk to Girls at Parties that I just loved and no one else did. <laughs> but uh, Ruth Wilson is in that. She plays one of the aliens uh, oh. hanging out on Earth. I like her. What can I say? Yeah, I don't think anybody, it's not a question of people not liking it. I just mm-hmm. think it's a question of people not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those things that kind of came and went. He ducks out on her. Uh, he gets back in the cab, asks for 554. He gets pointed to a diner where 554 is working as a waitress. It is a wraps only diner. <laughs> which must have seen kind of, you know, of the moment. I know what they're doing there. They're trying to make the village seem weird. Uh, specials tonight are beef noodle wrap and warm feta salad wrap. And for dessert, we have my own favorite, cinnamon fagan honey wrap. Do you have anything that's not a wrap? Why would we? And it's a choice. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that much for it. It's certainly a choice. He runs away through some empty buildings. Ian McKellen shows up tossing a grenade playfully. This grenade will come back several times. And something about the sound or sight of the grenade seems to knock Six out. Or maybe he was drugged by the rap. No, I can't. I didn't quite follow this. Uh, And as he's going under and being taken to the hospital, he is told that he is Six. He is Village. No definite article. He is Village. Hmm. And the secret is inside him. Sure. Um, he wakes into a hospital. He is the author of his own life. He is, uh, yep. you know, responsible for his own failures. Absolutely. Only he holds the, the key. Etc. Etc. Et yes. Uh, the girl from the bar, the woman from the bar, is a doctor. Three thirteen. Uh, they're gonna. She says they're gonna take him home. But they before they do that, they take him into number two's office. He gets angry. He pounds the desk, and the teacup rattles. Does not shatter. Yeah. Well. But it does rattle. Old China has been replaced by um, shatterproof plastic or, or something. Yeah, well, it's, it's the shame. desert. Everything is a lot more yeah. brittle and frangible, I would guess. Good word. He's taken back to his home. He sees it's got a balcony. Sounds like you're oh. saying that the chemical composition of uh, that cup was more label. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so I'm counting the balcony as a callback because it does look kind of like his old belt. He goes to the village shop. He asks for the biggest map they got. Callback, callback, callback. Uh-huh. What can I do you for? I'd like to buy a map. Street or topographic? Biggest one you got. That's the biggest. Pull around. Um, and it is a huge map, and there is, again, as I say, there's no shot. So this is a decent joke. I will give it up. The guy produces a matchbook-sized map that then fills up, like, half the room when he unfolds yeah. it. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I am... I am Grasping for crumbs here, but I did enjoy that. Buy one, get one free. What the hell would I want with two maps? Makes a perfect gift. Big enough for you? Here we are. You are here. That's the Palais 2. <laughs> wow, being the appropriate word. That's the clinic, and... Where's the road out of here? Oh, you cracked me up, Six. You've not seen me before. <laughs> no, sir. You, I would remember. You know my... Welcome to the village. Everybody knows everybody. Be seeing you. Yeah, what did you make of be seeing you? Did you like that? No, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like, like it either. I shouldn't be colloquial. Yeah, the Americanness of it. 
of this whole village is kind of like, oh, that's And hearing Haley Atwell speak in an American accent, too. Yeah. And, and I mean, hers is, it's okay. It doesn't call mm-hmm. attention to itself. It's perfectly passable. But um, um, yeah, yeah, no, no, no BC in yet. No good. No, you need it. You need it. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to bring everything back so it has to be the same, but like the yeah doesn't add anything. He steals a taxi. He passes that mysterious pair of crystal towers. He climbs mountains. Yes, Haley Atwell, Ruth Wilson, and crystal towers too. I mean, uh, I, it, uh, a, I, I, I question Christmas morning. Um, he doesn't take off his jacket. Like yeah. it's like he's still climbing these mountains. And uh, then he flashes back to this meeting of Haley Atwell, uh, who we will later learn is called Lucy at a diner in New York City. Yeah, they're going to stretch out this conversation between Six and, and Lucy in his for apartment for at least yeah. three goddamn episodes. Yep. That's too long. This is what I mean. I think they want it to be the, the backbone of the story, you know, the thing you keep going back to, but it's just it's not inherently interesting. She drives him back. It's clear that he doesn't remember much of that night, but it's going to come back to him in pieces over the next three fucking episodes. Uh, number two is at his uh, palace. Uh, he uh, takes meds. He takes meds into his uh, comatose wife. The taxi driver and his wife are summoned to meet with number two. And now six um, breaks into 93's house, which is a pretty, uh, pretty good reproduction of the original series six's apartment down hmm. to the lava lamp. Um, that's yet, I, I've lost count of the callbacks, but there I, Yeah, no, I, I definitely spotted the lava lamp, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't really put it together that this was meant to evoke It doesn't, it's not quarters. down to that they should be guilt, not silver. It's yeah. not down to that level, but it is, <laughs> it's, it's close. Yeah. Um, so, uh, while he's there looking for stuff, two and his little twink, uh, which is ostensibly his son, 1112. Uh-huh. And I was never sure if this was 1112 or if it's like 11. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought he was supposed to be like 11 and 12. Like, yeah. yeah he know. absorbed his twin or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, two at this point gives him the Mary Morris Peter Patton speech, <laughs> which is basically, there is no out there. I am your world. Like that whole thing. Right. Uh, he goes to 554 and proceeds to act weird. Again, not strongly motivated, just weird. She says that 93 showed his drawings of Big Ben, Big Ben callback, and he remembered a life before the village that he dreamed of. She also dreams of a life before the village. Uh, um, yeah. Back at Two's Palace, he gives the cab driver and his wife uh, a pair of medals call back and ask them about what they think about six this should really go somewhere and i don't think it does at least nope. not in the first three episodes the the cabbie says he was strange yeah like why did we why do we need that scene right and, and then uh the the button there is uh, he also asked them to bring a, a cake with cherries which we will mm-hmm. see him eating later uh the significance of this this cake i i don't get it yeah, there's a lot of inessential mystery. That's one of the reasons that uh, I, I don't think this is working. It's just, it's like, if something is raised, we should feel compelled to figure out what the hell is going on with it, as opposed to quickly coming to the conclusion that not all this is going to go anywhere. And so what's the point of just, uh, so we just watch it pile up without kind of really caring yeah. terribly much about it. Um he goes back to six goes back to 554 and and she tells him that she and others dream of life before the village she, oh this could be handled 
all this back and forth could have been handled much more efficiently. Uh, two goes to his comatose wife with pills. Eleven twelve shows up and wonders why Six thinks there is another place. Six that night goes to the cemetery. Call back. Uh, and 313 shows up, which causes a flashback to him meeting Lucy. He wakes up and sees yes. the funeral of 93, but he knows for a fact that they don't have the body because he buried the body. And they, there's no way they could have found it, even though they have amazing technology. But... You know, yeah, but he buried it in six inches of sand in some cave on a studio set in Burbank somewhere. Yep. So it... uh, six knows that six is six. Uh, this is the kind of dialogue that it just doesn't. Are anywhere. we still in episode one? We are still in episode okay. one. <laughs> we are at the very tail end of it. He tries to go into the diner, but all of a sudden he hears an N- New York City radio broadcast. Card, my friend. It's the same on the GW as the Jersey. It's hell on four wheels out there. Oh, gridlock after some kind of gas explosion in the heart of Brooklyn. And just as he does hear that radio broadcast, the diner explodes. He goes over to a bloodied 554. Three, he said. He said. All of the towers. She tells them that 93 said to follow the towers, which mm-hmm. again, I don't think really leads anywhere, but you know, yep. whatever. He uh, very purposely walks down a very long hallway, shadowed, you know, with, a, with his shadow in front of him. Call yep. back, call back, call back. Right, which seems to be like, okay, we're fading out. This is where we're breaking it. But no, we're not. Yep. He then goes up to the gates, I think, of Six's Palace, or maybe to the clinic, and he screams, I will find a way to escape. I will find a way to escape! Escape! Hear me! Hear me! I am not a number! I am not a number. I am a free man. And he does the arm throw. I mean, he tries. Yeah. He does the. He does yeah. the, he, he swings his fist over his head, but it doesn't. He doesn't sell it. Yeah. <laughs> he then goes to approach the towers, and a you know a jumbo-sized rover uh, gets him in much the same way. Not a lot of. Not a lot that's very different here. Despite all our technology, you just can't improve on a weather balloon, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he goes. He goes and yeah gets I, all. I'm Smoke. I'm grasping at straws. I like the the diner blowing up. I I like the the radio momentarily switches from the the village piffle to an actual familiar New York City broadcast talking about it. It was a traffic report or something right before the bomb goes off. I did like that. Don't know what it means, but it's a it, it is an effective little bit. We are now into the uh, second episode. He flashes back to that night with Haley slash Lucy. He also simultaneously flashes back to a boyhood beach vacation with his brother. Uh, yeah. In the present tense, he meets his brother, uh, or a man who says he is his brother, who says he knows things about him, and uh, Six agrees to go into therapy. Six then meets his brother's family, whom he does not recall. Uh, therapy is a dark room with way out. On the walls, so call back. With with a guy who I, it's lit low enough that I thought it was Tony Hale for a second. Yeah, it could have been. Could, totally could have been. Uh, the therapist is a twin. Uh, another call back to, you know, some of the weirder aspects of the village. Right. Um, but they, it was always um, like the electrics repair guys or usually characters who didn't even have a speaking role, really. When yeah, see yeah, the doubles, it was right? just, I think it meant 
to make the village seem more uncanny yeah. back in the original series, and so this is something they're picking up on. Uh, his brother takes him to the bus depot, where they welcome him back, because it turns out Six was a bus driver, and he gets behind the wheel of a bus and remembers that he knows exactly how to drive it. How do you fancy getting behind the old wheel? Why do you think I can drive this thing? You're the best there is, Six. But I've never driven a bus in my life. <laughs> yes, no, he says he's never driven a bus before, and uh, his brother or one of the other guys says, you're the best there is, Six. <laughs> it turns out bus driving is, is an incredibly competitive field. You know, they're, yeah. they're like NASCAR about this. It's like the, the way that it never occurred to you until Roadhouse, Glenn, that there could be a bar bouncer who was the best there is, where people, sure, sure, like, sure. word of his skill has spread across the land. As sweet as a honey nut wrap. And yeah, he does have to navigate traffic within the village. But once he gets out of the village, it's desert. With, uh, it, there's nothing to hit. I mean, I don't know how good you have to yeah. be. Yeah, he's the best there is at what he does, and what he does is <laughs> is drive a not very nice bus. There is a nice moment when uh, the people who are riding the bus, the tourists who are going on this tour of the village, which why would you go on a tour of this place? You've been forever, and you always will be. Um, they pull up to the clinic. And they, you, you can tell that they are regarding the clinic with fear. That was a nice touch because they... Yeah, they, the idea of this this narcotized populace taking a tour, taking it... Like, that I do think is an effective, creepy thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Because clearly there's something wrong with these people. They're they're brainwashed or they're, they're terrified or they're... I actually like that. I'll defend mm-hmm. that. Two visits the therapists, the twin therapists, and asks them what wrong, what's wrong with six. And they say that he feels alone. Which is where I figured we'd get a bunch of this thing about the community and unmutual. Like, I thought mm-hmm. that that's where this yeah. would come in. But this series isn't particularly interested in that. Two then asks to be therapized, and uh, he quickly proves that he doesn't believe in this shit. Uh, he gives the therapist advice not to have sex with his mother and leaves. Again, low-hanging fruit. Sure. Low-hanging but, but, fruit. but again, the way that, that McKellen says that, it's like, have you had sex with your mother? Well, don't. Yep. I laughed. I laughed. Yep. I'm not made of stone. Yep. Uh, Six drives the tour bus to a rusted anchor in the middle of the desert. His brother then takes him just over the dune, not right. far away. Just this over this the is dune. not a watering hole called the rusted anchor. This is actually a rusted anchor. Exactly. And why can't the other tour guides, why can't the other tour tourists go with them over the, over the dune lip to see this train station? You'd think they'd be interested in that train station. You know, because no. sand people, I don't know. Yes. They walk, walk single, single file, file to, to disguise their numbers. Yes. Mm-hmm. The next day, six. I don't think we're supposed to call bus. them sand people anymore, Clem. Yeah, that's true. Uh, drives the, past the palace and two comes aboard the bus and acts all weird uh, and gives his, his brother um, tickets to a resort. <laughs> escape <laughs> resort. Escape resort. He finds that that uh, 313 has taken the drawings that 93 made from his room or from his pocket or something. Um, and then we have another flashback to the Haley Knight where we find out he worked at Summacorp, uh, which analyzes CCTV footage looking for patterns, algorithms. My job is to look for patterns, how we live. Trying to find out what is going on. And finding out what is going on is not good news. Is that why you resigned? Why do you ask? This is a moment to provide a little bit of concrete something, but that is just such a vague description that it could be about anything. Two finds his son 
in the basement, uh, experiencing uh, his son, 1112, ex experiencing doubts about the village. He tries to correct him. Six says that everything here is fake, unreal. That's not possible. I mean, why would the world be like that? It is like that in Six's mind. Look at me, 1112. Is this real? Do I love you like no father ever loved a son before? This is meaningful, right? This is potentially meaningful that his offspring, who is presumably not a prisoner the way many of these other are, uh, but he too is um, born into the fiction of the village, right? His father dissuades him from the belief that there is anything else, thinks that the fact that, that uh, Six insists that there is is evidence of his madness. So, you know, he's not just putting this on when he's out in public. He's selling this uh, at home, too. I yep. mean, that's that's something. And my first instinct is like, wow, this kid really is eager to buy into this because if somebody came to me and said there is something, this this life we're living, Chris, is uh, an elaborate fiction fantasy mm. and there's other places besides yes. this universe. I like would a be splinter like, yeah, in your mind, Glenn. It's okay. Thank you. You can get off the subway now. I'll, I'll switch cars. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, but um, but I think, and we'll, we'll see, that this is meant, this is here for a reason, the fragility of the belief in the village is one of the things that becomes important later. Um, it factors in, in a way. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I forgave that. At uh, Therapy 6 lashes out at his therapist. At the train depot, hanging out with 313, he finds a box with a note from himself at age 8. Uh, he thinks it's another village trick. There's a flashback again to Summercorp. Yeah. Tell me why you resigned, please. Turns out that Lucy works on a floor called Analysis, and um, the reason mm -hmm. she came and uh, flirted with him is because she wants to find out about him because in his reports he noticed that people were changing. And like a good boy, I reported up. And what was it? People changing. Too many people. So I sent in the report, I got a three-word reply. Cease and desist. But if you could find out why Solutions wanted you to stop. Who are you? <laughs> you work in Simicor. You said Solutions. I didn't say Solutions. No more bullshit. Who are you? Again, just could give me, throw me a bone. I just need something a yeah. little. <laughs> a I, this little is the much. Prisoner 2009 Severance 2022 crossover happening. Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, the next day, a woman tells him that she once went on the tour and heard the ocean. And so then he and the lady and the taxi driver uh, take the taxi out to where she heard the ocean, or the bus. They take the bus out to where the she bus. heard the ocean. Meanwhile, his brother is waiting for him to join them so that he can... It's the taxi that he takes out. So he and the lady and the taxi driver get in the taxi and go out to the middle of the desert to try to hear the ocean. Uh, meanwhile, his brother is waiting for him back in the village because he's the one who's going to be driving them, I think, to, with the bus. Right. To, or they're getting, they need to get on the bus yeah. to escape resort. What, what about the uh, the design of these cabs and buses, right? They don't look cool. modern, but they, they're they not mini mooks. Um, no, it's kind of 30s. Yeah, I would say yeah, I it's guess. kind of 30s rounded uh, corners kind of thing. More Eastern European, I think, right? Yeah, they're they're I, not, I, not sleek. And I mean, this is again. This this was all uh, Namibia and and South Africa. I assume these these were designed or or selected by production design. It wasn't just like this is what we what we got. Yep, I think so too. Um, they go back, and because the bus has left, they take a different bus, which is you know, perks of the job if you're a bus driver, I guess. Uh, he, he, and I he mean, if you're decides, the best there is. 
Yes, especially if you're the best there is. No points for second place in bus driving. <laughs> <laughs> he suddenly turns toward the towers, and there's a bunch of imagery. Uh, the ocean, the desert. Two stuffing a grenade into Six's mouth and tossing him with water. <laughs> Six worries that he's actually insane, but then his brother in a moment confesses that he's not really his brother. And then um, then you'd think that would be a turning point, but no, they just go to right. the resort and they uh, hang out okay. in the pool. This, yeah, uh, oh, phew, serious anticlimax here. Also, uh, I want to, to note, um, since we, we have had some asides on the unreliability of the uh, Amazon video subtitles before mm-hmm. in the original series, this scene with uh, Six and his not-brother was where I finally had to turn the subtitles on because I, I rewinded it four times and failed to decode the line, all you've given me is love and kindness. I've repaid you with cruel accusations. Yep, 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 and yep. dear God, I wish I had written down some of the various things that I thought he said instead of <laughs> you've, I've repaid you with cruel accusations. I, uh, I watch everything with subtitles now, Chris. I'm 54 years old. That's part of the deal. Uh, so at the fancy resort, 6 and 16 hatch a plot to escape. The lady from the bus also came out with them to this resort. That wasn't mentioned. All of a sudden, lady from the resort. Lady and and the she's the one who was, who was winking at 6 in the rearview mirror when he's yep. driving the bus, right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I uh, also want to note that I think it's only in this at uh, Escape Resort uh, where we, we learn that the scenes from the village soap opera, like the closed circuit soap opera that we've been seeing, which is an idea that I like. I mean, that, that's wonkers, also, yeah. yes, wonkers. When, when someone by the pool is reading a novelization or something of, of wonkers and we get a shot of the, the book cover. Yep. Again. It's very, uh, taking the crumbs. Imi- uh, what is it, the Twin Peaks? Yeah, what was the one on Twin Peaks? The uh, Imitation yeah. of Life. That's right, right, right. It was Endless Love, but those are both real titles. It was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So they take the bus out. They see a boat grounded, and they see seagulls. They cross a dune and see the ocean. Um, 16 goes into the water and is promptly taken by a rover. And yeah. we learn, or we think we learn, that his little brother Stephen, or his older brother Stephen, I suppose, uh, drowned when he was a kid. So something that's a parallel here. He then runs back to the resort to tell the family uh, that their father has died, and they simply laugh at him and turn into pig heads. Uh, and then this, he this is very off. Inland Empire. Very Inland Empire, absolutely. He gets cut off on a gurney with a straitjacket saying he's six, agreeing that he's six. Yeah. So the, the suggestion here is that he's finally been broken. I did like that when we see the second appearance by, by Rover, when Rover takes down, do we know what Six's not brother's name is? I don't remember. Mm, no, just 16. Yeah, when Rover appears, the waves start flowing backward. A very cool effect. That yes. was a super cool. simple effect, but yes. a very cool effect. Yes, dug it. All right, so would you make us episode two? We're now ready to launch into episode three. Anything stand out? Anything you wanted to... Were you checking your watch by this point? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. And yeah. uh, I don't um, I don't like that. I, w- I was noticing like dumb things like, oh, the music is by Rupert Gregson Williams, who I interviewed in 2017 uh, when he did the score for Wonder Woman. There you go. All right, so next episode... <laughs> Such was the six, level of my emotional investment. This is the thing. Six wakes up at a kind of mm-hmm. depot where people are firing guns and riding motorcycles. Um, a lot of firearms around yeah. the village. But we only ever see these guys from a very far distance. We never actually see yeah. them that close. I think that's significant, but mm. who the hell knows. 313 wakes up and starts drawing something she saw in her dream. In a flashback, Lucy reveals, of course, that she works for them, and she tries to leave mm-hmm. his New York City apartment. 
Uh, oh my God! Yes. Three episodes later, Lucy is still in in his apartment, and they are still. drinking Bud. They are drinking Bud. He picks her up on the corner after. Actually, we skipped over all this. The meet cute or meet yeah. meet suspicious between six and where she asks to use his phone. Yeah. And he gives her his phone and then tells her later, once she, you know, after he successfully lures her back to his apartment by saying, I'd like to get to know you better tonight. Um, mm-hmm. And says he realizes somehow that he she didn't actually make a call because he knows things about telephones or something. Senator, I can see your, I can see the screen on your phone. You're not making a call. You're not. Yeah. Yes, he totally same, Ron Johnson, Tim. Same energy. <laughs> uh, but they're drinking, bud. They're drinking fucking bud, man. And and she's like, oh, you're drinking alone. She's, she's looking at his his package from the the booze store and like, oh, clearly you're, you're drinking alone. And that, what, you, you bought yourself a couple buds? Yeah. If you see someone walking home with a bottle of vodka or something like, oh, this person's depressed. This person is going to engage in self-abuse. But uh, I, don't, I don't feel like a six-pack of shitty domestic beer <laughs> necessarily <laughs> communicates that, that same insight. I also think, because he tells us that he's celebrating his res- resignation, um, I also think there's better ways to celebrate than... <laughs> than, 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 than picking up Haley Atwell? Absolutely not. That is no, primo no. celebration for me. But yeah, right. I, God damn, I'm not going to offer her bud if I ever get her back here, Glenn. Yep, yep. So two summon six uh, from his little golf ex- excursion to go undercover and expose the network of dreamers. Dreamers, as we mentioned, are those in the village who are dreaming of a former life. See, this I actually kind of like. This I actually mm-hmm. kind of like. Um, uh, and have we heard them referred to dreamers before this third episode? Referred to um, as dreamers? Yes, I think 355 mentioned dreamers, but this is... Uh, right. Yeah, this is, this but is, not, this. not dreamers in the sense that you believe in... Um, you know, single payer healthcare. No, no. Dreamers in the sense that you're actually we we consider you mentally ill. Yep. Yeah. Six knows it's a trap, of course, but he's willing to do it anyway. Uh, Callback. Six had some of the similar dynamics with many different number twos, where he would go along with what they wanted him to do, even as yeah. he was attempting to work against them. He will be working with. 909. The sure we mentioned before. Uh, yeah. They are. At investigating a man named 1955 probably not at all related to the uh, early Beatles song one after 909 but it's all I could think about all I thought about was uh, formula 409 maybe he's coming on the one after 909 who's number one the oldest question in village history Uh, we learn that there is no number one because number two is the chief there is no number one there never has been and there never will be the concept of the number two is an act of humility. The title reminds us all that we are all public servants, even number two. No one is number one. Very, very good. And it's an act of humility to call himself number two. My uh-huh. note here just says Caviezel is bad. So I don't know what what, um, what triggered that, but just... So this is his surveillance assignment. He is, um, he is dropped into the primary school as a teacher who teaches surveillance. Mm-hmm. What is the subject of the teacher he is supposed to be spying on? That I don't remember. Uh, history. He's a history History. Guy. For, yeah. yeah. 10 o'clock history, 12 o'clock mathematics, 2 o'clock surveillance. And I guess because he's such a shitty undercover operative because he's actually a guy who just watches CCTV footage and watches, <laughs> writes mm-hmm. reports about it all day. But he says to the mark, he says to the surveillance target, 
why would anyone teach children surveillance? And the guy's like, yeah. I don't know. You're the teacher. Why did you ask? Yeah. And he says, no reason. <laughs> right. Okay. So he's got he's really just everything you want in an undercover operative, you know, ability to improvise, uh, ability mm-hmm. to, to empathize. Um, surveillance? What's that about? Yeah. I, uh, so weird. One of his discussions with 909, 909 says, joggers, a good place to start looking for dreamers. Yep. Now, now Chris, as a jogger, a runner, I guess you would say. I do say runner. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I was going to say. Um, anymore. And I did notice um, that uh, uh, Ruth Gordon, no, Ruth Wilson. <laughs> Ruth Gordon. <laughs> it would be great if it was Ruth Gordon. Ruth Wilson. Yeah. Front of the pack. You just and... made this entire show better. Thank you. Just having it be Ruth Gordon. Imagining Ruth Gordon <laughs> in this role. Uh, we're taking you home. Um, <laughs> so the point here is that the village keeps everyone suspicious of everyone else to keep them distracted. That's not a bad idea. Sure. I kind of like it. And, you know, the, the old series played with mm-hmm. that, too. And, in fact, that's why his scheme yeah. and checkmate fell apart because right. he was suspicious of everybody else. Okay. Don't let me down, Glenn. Usually you, you bring this yourself. I want to introduce it. Is 909 hot? No. He's not? No, he's not. No, that sort of mm, slightly more composed Sizemore energy doesn't work. No, he, I've seen this actor before, and yeah. I, you know, I just think it's the village, right? So <laughs> he's, okay. he's probably village hot. I don't, I don't really know. Whoa. But uh, yeah, he also doesn't give off any kind of queer energy at all. This actor. Okay, so is. so when when it is revealed, skipping ahead, that he is in an, a relationship with eleven twelve. Mm-hmm. That come out of nowhere for you, or did you say like, ah, oh, of course, this this? It came out uh, of nowhere. Yeah. Okay, I mean, okay. not so much necessarily from eleven twelve. That kid gives off some queer energy, I would say, but uh, I I didn't pick it up from this guy. Mm. And, you know, there's certainly the Dave Holmes of the world who do not give off a lot of queer energy and yet are still queer. There's that's a thing that kind of. Been... I mean, that was an interesting wrinkle, and not just because just the mere existence of any kind of gay life in the village. It's kind of fun to look for it there in subtext in the in the mm-hmm. original, just like knowing that McGowan would have never <laughs> mm-hmm. permitted it. Yeah, just to have it have it explicitly acknowledged here. That was something I was not expecting. So yeah. so good, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Eleven twelve is a minor, right? So I mean this is still an inappropriate yeah. relationship. This is but, still yeah. not great. Uh, so two gets more pills, including a one pill that wakes his wife up, and she seems to be used to this. You know, she occasionally gets woken up, and they have a little moment. That night, 909 and 6 plant a bug in 1955's yeah. bungalow. Uh, um, number two uh, gives gives his wife uh, a wrap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very pleasant. It's, it's the 15th anniversary present. I know, and she, she says, ah, wrap. Wraps. <laughs> <laughs> now, 909, not being a particularly good uh, surveillance yes. operative, sends six to Glenn, his... she took the silver lid off of her serving tray, and mm-hmm. like Admiral Akbar, she said, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Okay. <laughs> Gonna let you do that one. Okay. Uh, he goes to fetch a flask of coffee and sees 909's notebook spying on him, which he would put that in the glove compartment. Wasn't he supposed to find that, though? Yes, I mean, at the point at which, was, like, when he's only in the car because 909 says, oh, I left my coffee thermos. Will you go get my coffee thermos? Yes, for? I mean, course, he, he's supposed to find the notebook, right? He's most supposed to find the notebook, but Six would know. It was so obvious that he was supposed to find the notebook. Like, it just, it doesn't, uh, that's not a good sign. In Tradecraft, Glenn, there's no, no one has ever, uh, there's no sincere random, oh, I forgot my jacket. Can you, can you get that for yeah, me? Like, yeah. like, everything is intentional, Glenn. So at the same time, both two and 1955 find bugs that were planted. We don't know who planted uh, two's bug yet. Uh, 1955 reacts by slicing his own throat. 
Uh, mm. They kind of dump him <laughs> on the steps of the hospital. Um, right. And uh, we learn that this is the way dreamers are caught. Um, so there's a lot in here. About dreamers how... are, are caught when they, I didn't understand that at all. Howard, they're, they're caught no, when they try to kill themselves? Like, what? They... This passes for satire in the show. This notion that if you are uh, accused, you're definitely guilty because only guilty people would be accused. And it's very, this is the Kafka-esque thing that the prisoner had. That was kind of working for me. Mm. And uh, 909 is explaining to Six, well, the, the undercovers work in cells. The cells don't know about each other. And Six says, well, then you you could be under surveillance. He's like, yeah, distinct possibility. I mean, that that stuff was good. I was kind of with all that. And then mm. the, the suicide attempt, that, I don't know. It just felt like they just didn't know where to go afterwards. Yep. Um, 313 is drawing more shapes. Again, this should be all done more efficiently. And in the backyard of the taxi driver's house, there's a giant, mysterious black hole in the sand. Yes. <laughs> this will, Chris, this will come back. This is a thing. Oh, good. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's tied to something that also Didn't happens. did the X-Files episode. periodically return to just yeah. a big, like, fucking hole in the ground that uh, they yeah. just, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. It's a big UFO in there. Great. Or Thanks something. for teasing that out for four years. Uh, six climbs atop 313's house and takes away the wire that was planted there. Uh, Two talks to 909 about the wire he found in his garden. And then he says uh, he's worried about his son because youth craves rebellion as much as it craves sex. Sure. Now, that's a callback, but it's only half a callback because the first part of the sentence, youth craves rebellion, is something that our six, Patrick McGowan, would say in a heartbeat and often did. Right. Uh, The second part is very not. (laughs) No. The the second part was uh, McKellen's... uh... Edition. Yeah. Ian Maybe. McKellen's complete edition because he, you know, he still craves rebellion almost as much as the crave sex. Uh, 909 meets up with 1112 at a sexy, sexy club, a sexy pansexual sexy club. Hmm. Uh, we get a Haley Flash. This isn't Club More. This is a different. It's a different club. Okay. It is a much Okay. Seer. So this village has more than one club. Yeah, I think it might be called Come Inside or something like that. I Whoa. think that's uh, it's a little on the nose. In the present, Six goes to visit 1955 and asks him why he did it, uh, and, and 55 protests his innocence. He warns 303 to be careful, but she's been sent some photos of Six being shady, you know, climbing atop her building. So yep. she is off Team Six for now. She's like, nope, don't trust you. At 909's trailer, she tells... 1112 that they need to take a break because two suspects them uh he says no 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 not not she uh, 909 tells 1112 that they okay at 909's trailer he tells uh, 909 tells 1112 that they need to take a break because the two is suspicious of them both he says for uh 1112 to take surveillance off of oh i'm sorry i was losing interest at this point um we're getting sloppy with our our pronouns yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so you mean that six comes in and says, "I know what you two are doing here. The price of my silence is you have to pull the surveillance off of three thirteen." Yes, six says for eleven twelve to take the surveillance off of three thirteen, or he'll out them because he's a dick. Uh, he tells you can tell nine oh nine is gay because there are ostrich feathers in his trailer, which oh. is not something you often see in trailers. <sighs> if you want feathers, that's what's available in the desert, right? Aren't ostriches the birds that mm-hmm. can? go days and days without drinking water. I think that's just a matter of what you can get. Other feathers, Mm -hmm. probably not so much. Yes, especially they're hard to come by. 
2 tells 11.12 that he suspects 9.09, and after 2 tells 11.12 that he thinks 9.09 is acting weirdly, 11.12 goes back to 9.09's trailer and knifes him in the neck with the tiniest pocket knife it is possible to get the size of a nail file, this thing. What menace this scene generates comes from the fact that 909 turns around and lets this little kid kill him. Mm -hmm. When the knife comes out, I was like, wait, is this supposed to mean that he's a threat? Because clearly 909 is capable of defending himself against this this little wisp of a kid with this little wisp of a knife if he he has to. But also very cruel. If you're going to knife me to death, you know, use something that's going to end it more efficiently for me, please. Yeah, 1955 knew what to do. He sliced his own neck. Yeah. We yeah. could do the same thing. You know, we get two we could do bloody necks. There there is a a conflation or or a, not conflation. Just just an intersection of of motives here that that is potentially interesting. I don't know how they miss it when all the suspicion is about like who's a traitor, who's hiding information, who's hiding loyalty. And and if the secret that we're trying to protect is just that we're we're having this inappropriate romantic relationship again inappropriate only because one member of it is underage but that's kind of interesting i mean that that i don't know how they don't exploit that better you know because that could tell us something about the relationship between two and his kid like what how does two react to this and when two finds out well nobody's a traitor to the village it's just that you know my kid's been running around on me he he doesn't seem terribly concerned that his kid has been the victim of a a predator in 909 What's up? No, in fact, all he says to his kid is like, maybe next time find somebody your own age, which is a really healthy thing to say to your But kid. he doesn't know that, that 1112 has already killed 909 at this point, no, right? he doesn't. Or prob- he probably does. Okay, but now now my my child has committed murder, so. Yeah, again, <laughs> 2 doesn't give it, isn't given much characterization here except evil, so, you know. Yeah. Um, I, again, that, I, I like, I... I don't know how this is not more interesting than this because it seems like it should be. Because they're not being supplied any character motivation. Six isn't, two isn't. Eleven, twelve is just horny, and uh, you know he wants to rebel and have sex. Sure, but he's—I don't know how old is, do we think he is? Like fourteen or something? Oh, I think he's supposed to be like sixteen, seventeen, somewhere in there. Okay, sixteen, seventeen-year-old who apparently has never been out of the village. I'm—I'm I'm going to say that's motivation enough. Yeah. He then, and this, this, my, my, um, my notes here, I should warn you, Chris, just go to nothing because of this. I was getting really disinterested this, here. This is where I got, oh, heroes and villains. That's a Beach Boys song that I really like, uh, lesser known. Um, and it shows up in this episode. It's from the And is it the sessions, actual Beach Boys or do they do a sound like? No, it is the original okay. version, which, uh, is almost the equivalent of getting all you need is love, you know, in, yeah. in 1968 for Fallout. So he convinces 11.12 to disguise him as 909 and send him to the clinic to look for 313. And then we get an incredibly rushed, very confusing set piece set in tunnels where he rescues 313 and then wind up back in his bed. It takes 30 seconds of screen time, and I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah. We don't see him get in. We don't see him get out. We, we, We just see the rover appear in the tunnel. We don't know what happens to these people in the tunnel. We don't know who these people are in the tunnel. It's just, I just obviously they were scrambling. And then the little girl who turns out to be the master spy from Six's class is the one that planted the bug in Two's garden. And he is all sweetness and light and saying, you did a good job, good for you, but you need to be taken to the clinic. And then there's a very ominous thing about the, her 
ice cream getting run over by a car and scene. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not even as subtle as that. He says, we're, you're going to have to go for therapy, for, aren't you? And she kind of nods. And he says, oh, relax. You can finish your ice cream first. And then we see the ice cream cone drops. The van drives away. And we hear her scream. Yeah. Why would she scream? <laughs> like it's already ominous enough. It's actually scarier if she doesn't scream. It just seems dumb that she screams. Like, was there a fucking wolf in the back of that van or something? Like, did <laughs> that's so dumb, so dumb. All right, I am assured by my, our own writing uh, that I did skim um, from those blog posts that the latter half of this does get better. It couldn't help but. Um, yeah, it's so interesting that this is kind of riffing on themes and imagery from the original mm-hmm. series, but really not knowing what to yeah. do with them, and and so backloading the opposite uh-huh. of frontloading, so backloading the meaning of this fucking thing that uh, when it comes, it will be mildly satisfying, but it it's it just doesn't care. Uh, I that think we are getting so much faff and yeah, people running and having a conversation that they could just. I saw Elvis. Over the weekend, and I and I, I actually have kind of the same note as it is. It's like this is frenetically paced and still feels endless. Mm-hmm. Somehow they're racing to get through all this stuff that none of the storytellers are actually interested in, right? Investigating at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at least we'll get an answer to those holes. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's Six's brother who, at one point, to uh, if he's not the one who says you're the best there is in re bus driving, he he certainly is the one who says Six is as sweet as a honey nut wrap. Yep. Would that be a dessert wrap? We think. Yes, it would be. It would be a, a sweet, sweet wrap. Yeah. Okay. Be like a Stucky's pecan. <laughs> I would imagine. Sweet as a honey nut wrap. All right. So, what's your grade? Hmm. Two. Yeah, yeah, solid, solid. I'm gonna give it, give it two. There are moments, there are flashes, there are interesting things raised, but I really do think there's a giant sucking sound at the center of this thing, and that is Jim Caviezel, who just isn't giving me anything. I just don't understand why this guy became a thing. Maybe I'll go two point five, just just because of of Haley Atwell. Uh, <laughs> last scene being, uh, I think, bisected by the Captain America shield and. Doctor yep. Strange in the Multiverse of, of Madness. Uh-huh. It, was, it was nice to see her. Anyway, sorry for, for spoiling that cameo in what is now 2022's number two movie, Glenn. Uh-huh. <laughs> By a pretty big margin. Yeah, pretty big yeah, margin. Yeah. I haven't seen Top Gun. I will not see Top Gun. I know. It's, it's not for Glenn's. All I can tell you is my, my dad was not interested. He did go right out and see Downton Abbey, A New Age or whatever. Oof. Do you know, Glenn, what the previous movie to accomplish what Top Gun Maverick accomplished this weekend is, which is to return to number one after five weeks in release? Do you know what the previous film... Would it be Avatar, Chris? You know what? I was going to say it was Pitch Perfect uh, 3 final sequence, but uh, no, you're right. It was Avatar. It was Avatar. <laughs> Incredible legs. Incredible 60-year-old legs. On, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, been a, on a broken ankle. I, you know, I got to root for it. The fact that, that uh, it was like this, this movie is going to be shown in theaters. It doesn't matter how many years you got to wave you. If you love the theatrical experience, Glenn, you got to, you got to be happy that this gamble paid off. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. All right. Uh-huh. So we know what's next. Uh, it is the latter half, three episodes of 
the 90s prisoner. Be happy, guys. We're talking about the prisoner again. We are. We are talking about the prisoner again. And I think um, we we are going to uh, talk about Brass Target, a late 70s thriller with Patty McGee and George Kennedy playing General Patton and Sophia Loren. Just just a bunch of a great roster of 70s people. Do you know off the top of your head who uh, McGowan is playing? Is he playing an American? Is he going to have the accent, the nasal American accent that he does? I'm not sure, but this movie sounds like it's um, Top Gun Maverick level when it comes to sheer dadness, when it comes to sheer Mm -hmm. patriarchal Mm -hmm. power. And neither you nor I, Glenn, are dads, so we need to get a dad to help us out with that one. We've got some feelers out. Yep. Um, Yep, yep, yep. And then hopefully we'll be ready to... uh, tell you more about our our next phase yep i mean we'll, we'll probably have to do, give out some some prisoner awards or something oh, that's not a bad idea okay we may have to have our own village art show <laughs> <laughs> where we reward the most the most modular boat <laughs> that uh listeners can the come most, up with clearly but... this thing is a boat even though it doesn't say it's a boat thing. brilliant brilliant it means what it is means what it is yeah means what it is brilliant it means what it is brilliant but prisoner 09 doesn't mean what it is does it it doesn't uh doesn't have any meaning it doesn't mean much of anything not yet but again answers will be provided it's just that you're going to be hard-pressed to care (laughs) i'm just glad that kevin feige or joe johnson or somebody was watching this in 2009 and was like well we got Peggy Carter cast. Uh, <laughs> okay, Chris. We'll get the next one out to you just soon because we don't we don't want to stretch this thing out like a like a conversation in a New York City apartment that was probably <sighs> in Cape Town, South Africa, mm-hmm. drinking buds. So, be seeing you. Be seeing you. I've been in this town so long that back in the city I've been taken for a lost account And I've known for a long, long time Fell in love years ago with an innocent girl From the Spanish and Indian home Home of the heroes and villains Once at night, Cotillion Square defied And she was right in the rain of the boats That eventually brought her down She's still dancing in the night Unafraid of what a dude will do In a town full of heroes Degree Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemek. I wrote our silly theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards with her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on bass. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Follow us on Twitter at NotAnumberPod. Follow us on Instagram at A Degree Absolute. Write the Citizens Advice Bureau at a degree absolute at Gmail. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Google, whatever podcatcher you use. And if you leave us a five-star review, be sure to include your Wildest Prisoner take so we can read that take as perennially promised on a future episode.